The Warrior Path is a premium remote fitness and nutrition coaching service devoted to training first responders and military servicemen for the harsh realities of their careers. Treating clients like the elite athletes they are so they can get home to their families safely. Each program is individually designed around the unique needs of the client. So whether you are an aspiring police recruit trying to maximize his hiring potential or training for special forces selection, the Warrior Path can tailor a program to your individual needs. With a monthly savings of up to 16 times that of a traditional personal trainer, the choice is obvious. But spots are limited, so hurry now. The first 15 clients will receive an additional 25% discount. The Warrior Path, serving those who serve. Head to www.thewarriorpathpro.com today. Thanks for listening to the Mentors for Military podcast. Our goal each week is to bring you amazing content and guests. Support our podcast by visiting our Patreon site at www.patreon.com backslash mentors, the number four, M-I-L, to pick a tier that is right for you. Or donate any amount you like. It's that easy. You may even pick up some cool swag or have an opportunity to help us co-host an episode. Help us bring you an awesome episode each week by visiting patreon.com slash mentors for mil today. This is the Mentors for Military podcast. We'll go ahead and first kick this thing off with a big shout out to Jonathan Lambert and Stephanie Lincoln of Fireteam Whiskey as our biggest patrons on Patreon. And today I'm joined by Brian Sova, who is a former pararescueman with the United States Air Force. He was a team leader, a head-end dock instructor. And so, uh, Brian, appreciate you joining on the podcast uh, today. And uh, we just recently concluded a podcast with Matt Scholard, who was also a PJ, and I understand he was behind you by a couple classes. And during the uh, the podcast, we got really heavily into his background and some of his the training that he went through from the indoctrination, the different phases of the pipeline to becoming a PJ, but you have a little bit different of an experience having been an instructor. You know, once you become an instructor, it it starts putting the new uh, perspective on things. You know, you're not always going to look at it from the student perspective. Now you're going to be looking at it in terms of what does it really take to qualify to become a PJ? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, like you said, I met Matt Scholars. He was on, uh, you know, one of my team's great guy um he's doing a lot with his his thing uh special operator doing a great job with that um so it is a lot different once you actually go to the instructor standpoint because from my view i actually uh, being all all honest all fair and honest i didn't want to go and be an instructor you know once you're on the teams you want to stay a team guy as long as you possibly can and you want to go out there do the mission so they pulled me off a deployment they said you're going to go be an instructor i was like oh man I didn't know what to expect. You know, it was kind of like, I'm going to go back to Lackland Air Force Base and I'm just going to be an instructor. Do I get to jump still? Do I get to, you know, I still want to do all that stuff. But um, the longer I was there, the more that I saw how being an instructor actually affects those students that are actually there, whether it be the setbacks, the guys that are on team, um, the other instructors that are there, you get to have a very unique impact because I'm sure those of the those of us who have been through any pipeline, we remember all of our instructors, the way that they talked to us, the things that they said, you know, they give you motivational speeches, they give you, you know, they're all. And you remember those guys that really put in the time. So um, as I got to be an instructor, um, you know, at first I was learning the ropes and I was trying to find my place as an instructor. And uh, eventually I, I really enjoyed it and I, that's kind of why I started doing this thing, how to be a PJ was because I, I really enjoy just talking to the guys, helping them out with whatever motivation skills and everything that I can impart on them that, you know, I've done, I've been a PJ for, uh, 12 years plus and, uh, now been in the military 13. So it's, uh, been a, a crazy ride and I want to be able to share that with people and show them what, you know, it takes to be a PJ and what, what's on the other side of, you know, in doc, it's it's all worth it. 
Well, let's go back to the beginning of your military career. So where was it that you're originally from and what was it that caused you to go into the military in the first place? My family doesn't have a huge military background or anything like that. Um, I have one uncle who was a major in the army and that's it. But um, as far as me, I, I worked as a server at a Mexican restaurant. I was going to college, you know, at a community college after high school because that's what you're supposed to do. And I was two years into it. I had withdrawn from multiple classes, some that I've had to take over again because basically my passion wasn't there. I, um, you know, I just wasn't being successful. I felt like I was wasting my time a little bit. And I was like, you know, I'm just going for a general degree. I don't know what I want to do, Yeah. but I know it's not, I know it's not this. I don't want to be in a classroom all day, not going anywhere. So I was like, you know what, I gotta, I gotta just go to all the recruiters and see what I can do. And during my time also while I was a server and I was working at JCPenney's simultaneously. Um, so I saw a couple incidences where, you know, people were passed out or babies like stopped breathing. And I was like, man, I want to, I want to be able to help people. I don't want to be feel so helpless in times where people are, you know, in trouble. I want to be able to make the room safer if I'm around. So I knew that I wanted to do a job that had to do with some kind of medicine I'm a pretty adventurous person, so I was looking into the Navy, the Army. The Army wanted to set me up with, uh, you know, a tank squadron or Rangers. They're like, you can go infantry and then go Rangers afterwards. The Navy was like, you can go corpsman and then go SEAL afterwards. And, you know, the Air Force, they were like, well, we have pararescue, but, you know, I don't think most guys really don't make it. So you're you're kind of a scrawny guy and... I don't know. <laughs> the challenge. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, let me see. Do you have anything else about this pararescue thing? So he showed me a video um, of pararescue men doing the job. And I was like, all right, I guess I'm going to do that's that. That's it. Yeah, that's it. Hook, <laughs> yeah. Hooked you right in. Yeah, definitely. So I ended up just, you know, running and swimming a lot. And I had done about one 25 meter underwater max before I ended up shipping off to basic. And, you know, who knows if I was doing correct form on anything, but what motivated me the most was just that I needed to do something with my life that was going to be going to have a purpose. And I wanted to go off and see, see the world, not be stuck in one small town for the rest of my life. So what what was it that you found to be the most challenging through that? You said you didn't really swim that much. And then there were multiple difficult points throughout my in-doc for in-doc though, I think honestly, the hardest part for me was really waking up in the morning. Like it's kind of like every time I, I did a jump every time that I've gone out and done like a mission, it's all that preparation, the stress leading up to the time when you're, you know, you jump off the edge of the plant, the ramp, or, you know, you step off the helicopter cause you're in the go mode by, by that time, at least for me, that's what it's like. Um, but when it's nighttime, you're trying to sleep or you wake up in the morning and it's 3, 3 a.m., 3.30, whatever time it was, and you're like, crap, all right, here we go. i got to get out of bed and we're going to start <laughs> this whole thing again. I'm going to get my ass kicked for a little bit. And, you know, no matter what, I'm not going to stop going. But, you know, just getting yourself, all right, let's get this train moving. Let's go freaking minute to minute, event to event, whatever I need to do, water bottle break to water bottle break. Um, so that, that was kind of like the most difficult part. And then aside from that, there was my team commander ended up passing away during Indoc. Oh, so wow. that was a, that was a difficult thing. It was a seventh week and major Brian agent. I don't know if you've also know Jimmy settle. He was a PJ in Alaska. He has a book out called, uh, never quit. <clears throat> so if you guys are listening, go ahead and check out his book. He talks about his experiences on Pipeline as well as with Major Brian Adrian, who was the person that passed away on my team. So he was a great guy. Um, you know, basically what happened, it was a training incident. So we we're doing a, a bunch of stuff, 50 meter underwater. And he had passed out before a couple of times during like buddy breathing and a couple other exercises, which if you're not familiar, buddy breathing is basically you're passing the circle back and forth. And the surface is, you know, right above your head. So you can at any point in time, just stick your head up out of the water and, you know, breathe. But he'd passed out before doing that stuff. So we knew he was a tough dude and he wasn't going to quit no matter what. So during this 50 meter 
he just, uh, you know, the whole team went at one time and he just, um, was floating in the back there. Everyone was hypoxic. I remember looking back after one of the instructors was like snapping for the other instructors to pick him up. And yeah, I looked back and, you know, he was just there floating down. Oh, man. And, uh, anyways, he ended up, you know, passing away that day. Um, they said he had prior heart conditions. He was a little bit older. He was major, uh, prior C-130 guy, but. So he was going the CRO route? Yes. He was going uh, combat rescue officer route. Yeah. The Crows, as they're called also, um, they participate in INDOC with the PJs just to show, you know, that they're as tough. They're not just, you know, the normal officer that's going to boss you around and not back it up. So the Crows go through the course with us and it's still the same currently right now. That was just difficult on another level because obviously I was 20 years old and I wasn't very familiar with deaths, people, you know, passing out. But after that, it kind of, um, you know, laid the foundation for this is what it's, this is what it takes. No matter what, this is what you want to do. You're not going to stop. You're never going to quit. You're going to keep on pushing, especially, you know, a, a guy as great as him. He had kids, he had wife. And I felt like, you know, no matter what, if he was able to give us all, then I am definitely not going to stop. You know, I'm going to continue doing this because um, people give their lives to do this stuff, not just in training, but also downrange. You know, people give their lives because they believe in the cause and the motto that others may live. And that's why we do these things. And that's why we put ourselves through as much pain, as much anguish of training and, you know, the multiple, multiple 12 hour plus days of making sure we get everything down to science and making sure that everything that we do is the best because that's what those people and those patients downrange expect from us. I think that it probably put a little bit of seriousness to the whole aspect of it as well as to what you guys are doing, not just in the training, like you said, but just to the job itself and the, you know, the, the, the stress that it's going to put on your body, on your mind, the whole aspect of it. I mean, that certainly makes it real when something like that occurs. Absolutely. I mean, up until that point, you assume that you're in a training environment, you know, right. you're protected. Everything's good. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, seeing something like that, you're just kind of like, all right, well, I, I said I was going to never quit. And this is, you know, actually, uh, there's a chance that it might happen. And yeah. for those listening out there who are going for one of EPJs, like, obviously we have paramedics on the deck. We have as many precautions as we possibly can. Um, so, you know, that shouldn't be something in your mind that you're actually going to die, but you know, it's, uh, it's a possibility with anything. Like if you're driving a car down the road in whatever town you live in, um, it's just, part of life. So. Well, anything with physical exertion, I mean, there's been all kinds of, uh, you know, well, as we're talking about this football or basketball or any type of athletic uh, type of activities or athletes that have been out there that didn't know that they had some kind of precondition or not even the physicians were able to spot it ahead of time. That it's just like one of those things. He's probably one of the, the very few that's ever had that type of training accident. But to your point, I mean, anytime you're doing military training, there's always that possibility. Uh, you don't think about it. You don't dwell on it. But there's always that possibility. As far as deployments and everything else, typical rotations for you guys is somewhere between four to six months on deployments. And it's a pretty heavy pace because as you guys are going through this training uh, then you're going to a deployment and then you're coming back and doing more training and then you're going to a deployment. It can take pretty a pretty good grind on you guys. It absolutely does. And uh, so my first duty station was the 321st STS over at Milton Hall in the UK. And my first year that I was there, I was gone for approximately 300 days out of that first year, whether it be TDYs, um, mixed with a deployment. But we were going all over Europe training with the, uh, you know, other special forces like the Grom, the Spanish guys going to Mali, doing some uh, stuff down there, going to uh, Poland, doing other exercises up there, going to, um, you know, working with the people, other people in the UK, just, you know, we we're all over the place. Um, so it definitely takes a toll and you're just on the road a lot. And that's not to say that, you know, the guys who are married or have kids, there's also a pretty robust support system at every squadron that you go to. So you, you have every opportunity to, you know, call your wife, call your family and 
be able to be in contact with them as much as possible. But it is very demanding. Um, my second year was very similar, but it's mostly it's driven also off of how much you want to be gone to a certain extent because you have a certain period where you have to get your upgrade training. And the faster you get your upgrade training, the, mo- the faster you get to deploy as a pararescue, which is all I wanted to do was go down range and save guys and, uh, you know, bring them back to their families. So I wanted to get upgraded as quickly as possible so I can uh, do that. So that's why I was gone a lot. So when you say upgraded, just for those people who are listening, kind of clarify that maybe for them a little bit. So upgraded for PJs, you start out when you come straight out of the apprentice course, you're basically like a, you know, three level, very basic. You can do things, but someone has to watch you when you do things because, you know, you just out of the pipeline they want to make sure that you're safe. <clears throat> so you have approximately 18 months to do your five level upgrade. Once you do a five level upgrade, then you can be on your own and do stuff, which is most of the deployments out of a STS unit are required for you to be a five level. That's why I wanted to get my, my certification as quick as possible because I wanted to deploy. And um, so my first deployment I ended up doing with, uh, it's called the torch rotation um, with one of the other STSs going to Balad, Iraq. And uh, yeah, so I was able to do that within about a year and a half. Took the training wheels off and started helping out with those guys. Um, but aside from that, we rotation wise at a STS unit, it's, it's kind of like, uh, whatever rotations that unit has, we kind of contract out and talk to, um, other guys like the Green Berets, the Seals. Um, we have some of those rotations going in and out with them as well as some of the other units. If they need additional support, we'll send some guys out with them, but that'll be basically on a year to year and a half every year and year and a half you'll deploy. Um, depending on how min-manned your unit is and uh, how much we're able to send you out. So. Well, I want to get into some of the aspects of facts versus fiction, because I know a lot of times you get a lot of QA uh, that comes your way about, okay, what is a PJ, what is not, and they may throw things at you that uh, you're like, where the heck did that come from out of left field? All right, so the first thing is a lot of guys, they think that PJs don't get you know, tactics training or shooting training because they see like pararescue, typical rescue guys don't get a lot of tactical training and shooting training. Pararescue is not like that. <clears throat> we get a lot of tactical training. We go through um, a lot of civilian courses as well as military courses. Like I said, I was deployed with uh, some of the Green Berets and I did all the shooting courses that they did and ran through houses with them. Um, we practice that back on the teams at home as part of our upgrade training, as well as hand-to-hand combat. We're trained in that aspect as well. So we do rescues, but we also carry big guns. We have guys that are designated marksmen. Um, they'll carry, you know, Mark 17, um, whatever tool that we need to get the job done based on the area that we're at. You know, geographically, we'll cover down on Africa or places with wide open spaces. So obviously we're not just going to go in with an M4 and an M9 because we're going to be far off from whatever targets that we're shooting at or are shooting at us. So we do take that kind of role. Um, And if you're looking for um, strict rescue, I'd say go, you know, Coast Guard, go that aspect, but you have to be willing to take life as well as to save a life in pararescue. So that's one of the main things that I get asked a lot of times, like, you know, are you guys combat? You guys do that kind of stuff? Yes, definitely do that kind of stuff. And we have lots of guys who are very highly trained in all those aspects. So one of those is around the Air Force Special Operations Command, and maybe you can kind of give a description as to some of the MOSs because PJs is one of those. And so we've got, what, TACP, uh, you've got the CRO that we already mentioned, you've got the PJ. Within, within AFCOC, as far as ground operators, boots on the ground in the Air Force, because it's not, obviously it includes pilots and all those guys because they're the vehicle to get us there. But the guys that are on the ground, so you have pararescuemen, um, like I said, um, where the guys are rescued, do all that stuff. Combat rescue officers are in charge of the pararescuemen, and they're also in charge of the SEER guys, Survival Evasion Resistance Escape. So they call that the Guardian Angel Triad. 
it's you know kind of a cheesy name but they <laughs> and that's relatively new called, too right cro's have not been around for a very long um i think the first one was in 2001 or two yeah when they first came around so they're you know fairly new career field but we have some uh 06s now and we're really moving up i think based on the 30-year vision of where we're trying to go they're going to be putting some higher leadership spots so you can expect that pretty soon and to have that kind of leadership in the air force and not just pilot leadership. Right. Um, just huge for you yeah. guys. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and you can see that if you were to look at, uh, you know, some of the new facilities that are being built for training as far as, um, just here at Lackland for those guys that are prepping to go through the selection course. And as well as each unit now they're getting a full staff, they're treating the, uh, PJs, CCTs, and all the guys on the ground as a, basically as an aircraft would be treated. So they're given all the appropriate maintenance, whether it be psych docs, whether it be um, a personal trainer in the gym, you know, every ability for us to come back, recover, do maintenance, rather than we're just going to send you out, come back, do whatever you want to do, and then be ready to get, get sent out again. So we're trying to psychologically um, just profile guys, make sure that they're safe. They're not going to be, um, a danger to themselves, to their families. Cause obviously, you know, people see a lot of stuff downrange and we don't want any of that fallout to come back, um, after, you know, stuff, stuff's happened downrange. So yeah, they're putting a lot of, uh, a lot of money and a lot of resources towards that, which I think is really beneficial for, um, us. But as far as the structure, like I said, PJs, the crows are in charge of them as well as the fear guys. And then we'll go to combat controllers who are actually, they're going to phase into our indoc or, you know, they're calling it assessment and selection now, but we're going to be assessed and select together because we weren't traditionally um, within the last 20 years. We haven't been. Yeah. Interesting. So they're mixing combat controllers slash CCT. That's what they're called. Um, and their job is mainly to um, set up um assault zone landing strips in austere locations, you know, they'll, they'll set up, uh, LZs or places for, um, guys to jump into planes to land helicopters. Um, so they do that. And an additional duty for them is JTAC. So they'll get the JTAC qualification. They do a lot of awesome missions downrange, making sure that the bad guys are taken care of. So the rest of the guys can get out alive and safe. So, um, you should definitely look into combat controllers if you're interested in blowing things up or controlling aircraft because they get a lot of, a lot of awesome uh, missions. So. Yeah, you, you've seen them along uh, the lines of uh, special forces as well and calling a lot of air missions and, uh, you know, getting silver stars and the whole bit. I know that it's been publicized a lot here lately. I think actually wasn't there one that just recently received the Medal of Honor or am I mistaken there? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, Chapman uh, received the Medal of Honor just recently. So, yeah, you can see, and there's plenty that have gotten a Silver Star within the last couple of years. So, they've done a lot of great stuff and are definitely needed downrange. And they also attach to SEALs, Green Berets, Rangers, every, the whole gambit. So, they do a lot of good stuff. Um, and then there's also the Tactical Air Control Party members. Those are the TACPs that you were talking about. And their main job, they mainly, they're also JTACs, but they mainly will deploy with the army, like, um, infantry and, uh, sometimes the Rangers as well, but they do a lot of great stuff as well. And there's also same thing, lots of Silver Star guys and. Yeah. TACP, I know that, uh, even get with CAV, armor, those types of things, any of the Ford, uh, combat arms units, and they're usually along with the S3 shop, which is, you know, the area for operations and, um, coordinating with that. And then they go forward and I work with them a lot as well in the past and, uh, some pretty high speed. Matter of fact, that was my first interaction, uh, with Air Force in that type of environment. Cause typically you think of air force, you think like you're saying, you know, planes, aircraft, those types of things. And so when you run into a guy that's out there, you know, beat the bush, just like you are, and you find out that he's air force, you're like, what, uh, what are you doing out here? 
you know? Like you eject out of an airplane or what happened? <laughs> exactly. Uh, who'd you piss off? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah. Oh, that, and the last, yeah, go ahead. Last one I forgot to mention was special operations weather team, the South T guys. Um, their job is to also, um, attach with us, give us forward, um, forward measurements of the weather. They're also shooters. Yeah. So they're, they're also attached to us. Now that's, I think that's going to be helpful because there are a lot of misunderstandings as far as AFSOC, what it means, what it's about, who belongs to it. And of course, I'm sure PJs on many occasions are just not lumped into that same category. You just don't think of it that way um, if you're somebody that doesn't understand the military. But for those of us who totally understand the military, PJs are like, I don't in my own opinion at least, PJs are probably some of the best medical um, specialists that are out there. And, uh, I, I kind of consider you guys right alongside the, the Ranger medics. Uh, to me, you guys are the, the cream of the crop. Well, I appreciate that. And, uh, yeah, we definitely do a lot as far as medical. I mean, everything that we do, we incorporate medical, whether it's jump, we always incorporate some kind of scenario afterwards because everything else, whether we're diving, jumping, you know, rucking into a place, driving into a place, whatever aspect that is, it's because we're going to go in and we're going to get a patient. So we try and, you know, gear everything that we do towards that. And, uh, we do a lot of, uh, you know, more advanced surgical type of techniques. We get trained in, you know, chest thoracotomies as well as cricothyroidotomies, uh, you know, needle thoracentesis, pelvic thoracentesis, or, uh, pelvic thoracentesis, or sorry, needle uh, aspiration of the, of the bladder. Um, and we do rotations in the hospitals as well to just stay current in all of our, um, ET tubes and stuff like that. So we definitely do a, a lot more than just the traditional paramedic that you will, you know, run into on the street because out there it's either they get that or they're going to die. So yeah, we have, we have to be able to do those kinds of things and, you know, let them up with antibiotics, prevent infection. All right. We're going to get you. However many hours it's going to take, we're going to get you over to the hospital near us so we can get you out of here, get you a launch tool, and hopefully you get to go home and see your family again. So what's uh, another one of the crazy Q&As that you happen to get from some of these people that are interested in PJ? So a lot of guys think that when you go to Indoc, the instructors are just going to hold you down until you drown. Um, that's that's <laughs> sure. not the case about, about school. I mean, at Indoc, as an instructor, I can tell you, and at the new course, it's going to be the same because they're changing over to a new course. But it's going to be the same way. We're not going to hold anybody down until they pass out or any of that kind of stuff. We're going to, we have a set schedule of every single day. This is what it's going to be like. There's a chart for everything. There's numbers for everything. And it's very dialed in because before every event that we do, there's always a brief. There's always a safety guy. There's always a med kit. There's always um, a high level of safety as far as, instructor requirements per student and every detail is covered in all the briefs. So no one's going to hold you down until you pass out at any, at any point in time. So oh, that's great. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I can totally understand trying to simulate all kinds of different situations, but I can't see uh, that one. Yeah. That just, uh, you know, let me just see how bad it is before I can turn somebody black and blue until they pass out. I mean, there, there are definitely times that you're going to pass out or, you know, somebody on the team is going to pass out. Sure. Yeah. But it's, but it's going to be under their own volition. It's not going to be because somebody was sticking them under the water and holding their face down. So yeah, shouldn't be worried about that. So when you, when you left uh, the pipeline, everything got into the instructor side of things. What, what was it? I mean, you got volunteered, uh, they, uh, end up coming down and selecting you for that. Or was it one of these things that, well, you got to punch the ticket and there's only a couple items. Cause I know for us in the army, you know, it's usually either recruiting duty or drill sergeant duty as sometimes it gets, uh, that comes calling. Yeah. It was, uh, kind of my, my commander at the time. We didn't have too many guys that were able to be in instructor positions. You have to get, you know, just not a bunch of, uh, markdowns basically on your performance report and you have to be be a certain rank have been in for a while and have experience to you know instruct these guys and it just ended up that i was one of those guys that um didn't screw up too bad and <laughs> i was available at the time because i was coming up on my time at the squadron like all right you're gonna have to get out of here soon because you've been here for three years 
So they were like, all right, let's just, uh, yeah, I guess we got to send Silva. So I ended up being voluntold to go down there. That's why sure. I was talking about, you know, I, I want to finish out my deployment and want to finish out being on the team and come home with the team at least. And, you know, I just ended up like, this is when they need you. This is when you have to go. So, you know, I made the best of it. Like I said, I ended up enjoying it a lot more than I previously thought I would. So, and that's why I'm here today. Yeah. Because I actually really enjoyed it. So as an instructor, what's some of the craziest things that you've seen by some of these students that are coming in since we're talking PJs? Okay. This isn't a crazy thing, but this should be a crazy thing because guys should want to come up and show up prepared. So there are over 20% that when they show up to take the pass test, which is the entrance requirement, you have to do it before you get into basic training with your recruiter. They show up and they fail the pass test. 20 to 30% on every single team. So that is just crazy to me because you guys know the standards. So if you're out there and you're trying to prepare, you know what the test is, do the test and make sure that you can do it. If this is what you want to do, make sure you can pass that test because you know what it is, you know the requirements, you have somebody testing you on it, like don't fail that thing. Okay, aside from that, fun stories. (laughs) Um, We've had guys, like I said, you know, one guy passed away. Another, a lot of times we do dorm inspections. Um, some of the stuff that you find on the dorm inspections are, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, toys that people have in their room. <laughs> <A> <laughs> oh my lot, God. Lovely. A lot of people with alcohol, tobacco, other people that shouldn't be in their room are in their room. Um, they're coming in, you know, wasted. So, you know, eventually we'll end up showing up and, you know, bring the team outside, smoke them a bunch. Um, let's see, I've seen, well, another, I guess, sad story, but, uh, one of the students didn't want to quit, ended up making a big thing out of it. He went AWOL for a while. He ended up coming back after two weeks. And then the worst, the worst part was, uh, he ended up, you know, bringing a gun and he killed the commander. Oh my God. So, yeah. So that was a pretty crazy thing. He killed himself and the commander in the, the commander's office. When did that occur? Is that something that was in the news and such? That was in the news. Um, it was in 2015. It was Lieutenant Colonel Schrader, S-C-H-R-O-E-D-E-R, a disgruntled student that he wasn't happy that he was, wasn't able to make it. So he had this whole plan and this cash. It was, it was a whole longer story than that, but um, yeah. So after he went AWOL, he ended up being there for like eight to nine months, hiring multiple lawyers, getting more upset about stuff. Yeah, so that was pretty crazy to be a part of uh, when I was there. Other other things that we've seen, you know, people with broken legs, broken ribs. We do obstacle courses. We do uh, lots of different stuff, people passing out on the land. You know, we make as many safe measures as possible, and sometimes it's just – you know, a circumstance, it's hot in Texas or when it's cold, you know, guys get too cold. So we can't control everything. We don't know everyone's metabolism and it's just part of it. So definitely recommend people getting out as much as possible and just, you know, getting used to being outside before they come here. Cause a lot of guys, they play, you know, call of duty all day and they're, they're like, yeah, I can pass my pass test barely. So they're like, I'm going to take a break. And then they, end up just playing video games and sitting on their butts and not being ready. So they get injured or they're not used to being outside. They're not used to doing all the stressful stuff that we do in training. So you mentioned about the past test. And so I think it would be kind of really cool at this point to talk about some of the things that individuals can do to prepare for this type of indoctrination. And I think some of the things that you're going to probably describe in terms of physical training and those types of things will almost be helpful in any type of selection course that they end up going into in the military. It's just going to prepare you for the uncomfortable, you know, make the uncomfortable comfortable. And so in, in that case, maybe we start with the past and uh, the PAST test and you kind of describe a little bit about it and some of the things that people can do to get prepared for it. And then the other aspects of how you go within your uh, program of how to be a PJ and um, helping individuals kind of get ready for this type of indoctrination. So the PASS test, physical aptitude and stamina test, is currently the gauge for all special operations in the Air Force that want to come in. 
This includes the PJ, CCT, Southies, and Attack Ps. They just have varying levels of calisthenics that they need to do. So I won't go over all the numbers or anything like that, but the uh, test includes push-ups, pull-ups, pull-ups sit-ups, <clears throat> as well as a swim and a run. So that's all it includes right now. Um, like I said, varying levels depending on PJ is the hardest right now, followed by CCT, then uh, South T and TAC P under that. In order to train for this kind of thing, <clears throat> I recommend definitely getting a good cardiovascular foundation first, aerobic foundation, because that's where all your money is going to be, and also core. So when you're running, you're using your core. When you're doing push-ups, pull-ups, sit-ups, you're using your core for all that stuff. So definitely get the running down. And if you need to lose weight, guys are like, what's the optimal weight for a pararescue man or for a green beret? It's like, man, honestly, like you don't need to sit here and count calories. You need to be able to do what it is. If you are like 250 pounds and you're five, eight, you clearly need to lose some weight in order to be able to attain the numbers that you're going to attain. So don't worry so much about the weight though. Eat correctly. Don't be eating at McDonald's. Don't be eating at whatever fast food. Make some chicken breast, some salad, you know, a little bit of rice. Don't completely cut out carbs because you're going to need those carbs when you're out on a long run, when you're doing whatever you're going to do. So, you know, just eat correctly, fresh food, and you'll be fine with that. So uh, don't focus too much on weight. But like I said, get that running down. What I like to do is uh, on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and either Saturday or Sunday, however you want to play with your schedule, so Mondays, I usually do a, a difficult type of run, whether it would be like uh, intervals, sprints, some kind of uh, timed, like either light post uh, sprint between each light post, something like that, however you want to time it down. But do a, a difficult workout. Um, Wednesdays would be a, a more down day if you're starting out. Um, either just do like a nice, easy two to three mile run. And then Fridays, another like hill day or something like that. And then Saturdays or Sundays, whichever day you choose, you're doing like a longer distance run. Like currently I do eight miles pretty much on Saturday or Sunday. And then in between those days, Tuesdays and Thursdays, um, do start swimming. Like you need to definitely, if you're going to do anything, actually now all even TAC P have to learn how to swim. So if you're going to do TAC P, start doing, getting in the pool a little bit, at least be comfortable enough to where you can tread water and swim 500 meters without stopping. So, and if you don't have a swim team or a coach or anything like that, you can't pay for a coach, you can do what I did. And I used to just go to Gold's Gym where I lived in uh, Arizona and I used to talk to the old people that were there because they've been swimming their whole life and it's the only thing they can do anymore because, you know, they all have osteoarthritis or they have something else going on so they can't do impact stuff. Yeah. So they, they, know, they know how to swim. And if you tell them, like, I'm trying out to be a special operations, you know, whatever you're going to end up trying to be, they'll be like, all right, yeah, I'll definitely help you. And, you know, keep in touch with them because they like, you know, seeing other people succeed just like I'm sure you and I do. So they'll, they'll, they'll take the time to help you out. Um, so definitely get on that swimming next. And then uh, push-ups, pull-ups, and sit-ups. These are the things, um, as far as repetition, you got to get down. I, I tell guys all the time, we do ins and outs. Um, so ins would be like once you're coming home or every time you get to the gym or every time you go to the bathroom, you knock out like 10 pull-ups or 25 push-ups or 25 sit-ups, however you want to do it. Same thing for the outs. Every time you leave your house or the gym, you do those push-ups and pulls because doing those throughout the day is exactly what you're going to do. And that's the best way to build muscle because you're giving yourself time to recover, whether it be an hour in between or two hours in between to recover. You can knock out the full set, do strict form and continue going. So, uh, commonly we see that push-ups are the biggest thing guys fail. So definitely focus on your push-up. And like I said, the craziest, the craziest thing to me is still that guys show up 30% don't pass the pass test. So, like I said, just know the standard and perform to that standard. Yeah. Um, and as far as the workouts that, that I provide, so the way that I developed the workouts was 
as an instructor at Indoc, we were in charge of the people who were set back from the team. So I obviously we wanted to make them better so they can pass on the next team. Sure. They failed for one reason or another. So um, I would have workouts that I would come up with and schedule these guys to do in order for them to, you know, get their push up or pull up or whatever numbers they needed to get up. So these are all workouts that I use to develop their numbers. Workouts that I've used in the past develop my numbers and get better. So, um, you know, I use all that knowledge. Um, so I, I offer like two programs. Pass to pass is the first one to get, you know, obviously they're all pretty straightforward. Pass to pass. Um, and then the Indoc grad is the other one. Uh, and I, I use that to do a lot more um, water work as well as the drops that we do. You know, drops are whenever you mess up, basically your team messes up. You do different variations of iron mics, flutter kicks, and jacking your feet up on the wall, whatever it is. So I incorporated all that stuff and grass and gorillas, buddy carries, which I replaced with a sandbag. Um, so all the more difficult stuff that guys don't usually do and I don't want guys to get injured from. So if they do it a little bit before they show up, then they're a little bit more used to it and they're able to you know, not get injured whenever they show up and they actually do it. So that was my, my main thing in these programs is just showing guys different aspects of training and not just unilateral, like lift up a barbell, do a clean, and, right. you know, CrossFit type of workouts that just are great. I mean, I have nothing against CrossFit at all, but it's just not what you're going to be doing in training because you're going to be working out for eight to nine hours a day when you get to Indoc. So if your body's not ready for that, then you're just going to go downhill real fast because you don't have the fat reserves, you don't have the stamina, you don't have just the mindset of, all right, whatever's next, I got this next thing. Whatever's next, I got it. Yeah. You know, and that's the same thing even with uh, the recon. I mean, you know, we've had guys on here that talked a lot about the recon and uh, getting used to the pool. And so PJs is very much like that and getting comfortable in the water when you're talking about treading water and those types of things. We're not talking about just for moments. We're talking about for long periods of time and learning how to relax yourself and breathe and, and calm yourself to the point where you're uh, able to, to tread water without panicking and getting to the stress mode because um, it, it's really about understanding, um, again, how to be uncomfortable in those types of situations and learning how to deal with it. And the more you do that through the training aspect of it, the better qualified you're going to be on the back end. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the biggest uh, differentiation, I think, between PJs and other special operations. Obviously, the SEALs have a lot of stuff to do in the water, but um, I've had students that were in the SEAL program or were SEALs, and they said that the water confidence in INDOC was a lot more difficult than the ones that were in the SEALs. Not because, um, like, there were obviously intense days at SEAL courses, but just the day-to-day, -day, like, you know that you're going to come to the pool every time and you're going to be pushed to, to your limit, to where you feel like you're going to pass out pretty much every day. Like, just the mentality of being able to overcome that and sit on the pool deck, stay engaged with every event that's going to be happening, um, listening to the instructors yell at you every single day um, <clears throat> for multiple months is, is kind of draining. And it's like, that's one of the reasons why it was difficult for me. Like, waking up in the morning, it's like, all right, got to get this train rolling. I know that I'm going to, you know, get to muscle failure at some point today. I know that I'm going to feel like I'm going to pass out underwater. I know that my I'm going to probably swallow some water at some point and choke a little bit. And, uh, you know, just getting over that aspect is, uh, the biggest thing. And that's where guys end up quitting the most is at the pool during water confidence events. So, well, let's face it in all the indoctrination type of programs, they end up stressing you to the point where you need to be focused more on, um, going until you're told to stop basically. So, you know, we've talked a lot about in this podcast about go, like you mentioned, go to the next, uh, telephone pole or go to the next, um, you know, mailbox or go to the next, whatever, pick you as the next pine tree or pick, pick you something that's out there. Or try to find something that, um, helps you hold on and not focus on the fact that you're feeling pain or things are hurting or, you know, uh, you don't want to do this right now or whatever the case may be. You're starting to tune your brain out into a different way and you're kind of controlling that aspect of it 
because that's really what it's a, uh, a lot about as well, I'm assuming, uh, in, in the PJ training. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I mean, definitely go minute to minute as much as you can. Try not to focus on how much you're hurting right now. <clears throat> Another thing I tell guys that you need to focus on is your team because, um, you know, PJs, when you go out, it's a pretty small team that you're with and you have to be able to rely on each other through whatever ends up happening. So, um, you know, I had three other guys that I went through NDOC with and I would constantly look over to them and like, all right, give each other a head nod, give each other like, all right, we got this. Let's keep on going. Like we're all still in this together. We're not going to quit on each other. Um, and just that brotherhood of going through all that stuff together, you get to know guys way better. Like I've known people, other people for years and years and years, but you go through NDOC with somebody, you know, everybody, um, yeah, a lot better yeah. than, than, uh, and you have stories to tell that other people just don't understand. And when you suffer together, you really grow a bond that you can't grow anywhere else. And that's one of the things about selection in general. I think, you know, across the special operations community that we, we share in common. And that's why, um, it's important for us to just, you know, go through that as, as a person that's been in the community, like it's, really important that, you know, we all know we're at a certain level, every single person of us that we're working together. And that's why, you know, SEALs and whoever are okay with us going with them and they trust us to a certain extent. Uh, there's always like an awkwardness. Like, I don't actually know you, but you know, you're a PJ. So at least you are not. They know you can carry their weight. Yeah, they, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're not going to quit. So they, they know they can count on you. And uh, that's that's something within that whole entire special operations community for sure. So, you know, you have a website and you have information that's out there for people who want to become a PJ. Of course, your whole uh, Instagram account is called How to Be a PJ. So outside of that, what are, what is the website link and, and how is it that people can get in contact with you if they're wanting to go down this path and get further information? So you can go to... Uh, beapj.com or howtobeapj.com you know they go to the same site um, the Instagram also is called howtobeapj um, you can also email me brian at howtobeapj.com so it's all Real simple. you know pretty pretty simple um, you can just probably google how to be a PJ um, all that stuff um, is up right now so also I have a YouTube channel where I do videos basically about uh, mindset, leadership. Um, I'm starting a new thing. Actually, I just posted today that I'm going to start doing video critiques on guys who are interested um, on, you know, water confidence events, uh, running, swimming, calisthenics. And I'm going to post all those on YouTube. I'm just going to voice over different people's videos that they send in just to help people get an idea of like, all right, I'm totally doing this wrong or, you know, I'm pretty close yeah. or whatever, just, just to help them out. And they're not, showing up like i said on the first day and they're like man i had 125 push-ups when i did it on my own and now i get here and it's <laughs> only 50 that counted it's like yeah you've been doing it wrong the whole time yeah so i want guys to show up prepared definitely so that's why i'm doing the the critique things um but on the youtube i have a bunch of other videos where i've interviewed other pjs and i've interviewed um you know the commandant of the schoolhouse i'm going to interview the commander of the schoolhouse um within the next month so <clears throat> just trying to spread the word and, um, you know, let people know what PJs are. Cause I think a lot of times when you go out and you're like, Hey, I was, I was a PJ for a while. And they're like, what's the PJ? Like PJ right. mask or like pajamas. <laughs> like what <do> you <laughs> Exactly. Like, you know, at that point I'm just like, okay. Yeah. You know, I don't want to go in and try and explain it that, that in depth because I don't even know you, but anyways, right. I'm just trying to spread the word and, you know, those guys out there, there are a lot of PJs, a lot of CCT, a lot of uh, Air Force Special Operations that have done really great things. And uh, like I said, getting silver stars, medals of honor, and they're doing awesome things for our country and those guys that are serving downrange. So I just want them to be recognized and, you know, for all their efforts and the, the reason that we do all these things and the way, you know, work with all you guys and work with whoever we can, because for the most part, I think we're all pretty humble and we want to just do the job, but, uh, we need more qualified guys to come over and try out prepare rescue because we have a high attrition rate. So 
we need more numbers to, you know, save the backs of those guys that are out there because we're pretty minimally manned right now. Yeah, and, you know, we talked about the heavy rotation and the, the wear and tear that goes on you even after indoctrination and deployments and everything else uh, on and on. And so, you know, it's one thing to to get through this whole program, but it's another thing to live this grind. So you've got to have the right mindset going in and understand what it's going to take. And I commend you for giving back and trying to help that pipeline grow, you know, because, I mean, what you're doing is a great service to not only – um, the Air Force, but you're really helping your brothers in arms that are out there, you know, in the trenches every day and doing the job to make sure that the people that are coming on the team are going to have that type of right mindset. They made it through the indoctrination, all the pipeline rather easily, uh, hopefully through the types of stuff that you're doing and, and are able to uh, to really contribute, you know, when it matters most. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of my main goals is, and I would tell all the students, every single team, like I'm training you guys, not because I want to yell at you, not because I hate you, not because any of that stuff. There are times when I'm going to, you're probably going to think that, but I'm doing this because I want you guys to come home alive. I want those guys that you're going to work with and your patients to come home alive because you have the right mindset. You're never going to quit. You're going to have the right skills and attitude to bring every person home alive. So, you know, you can execute the mission and then have a beer afterwards talk about all the stuff you went to do and you know there you enjoy go. the rest of your life so, you got it well brian appreciate you yeah man i appreciate you coming on this show and uh telling about your story and your background of course helping some of the people who might be thinking about going into the special operations community especially afsoc or pjs uh, specifically and what you're doing so i appreciate you uh you coming on the show and sharing everything about that yeah, I was glad to be uh, on here, and thank you for having me. Uh, anytime, you know, you guys have any questions about Pro Rescue or anything else, hit me up, and I'll be glad to talk to you.